Hello and welcome to Some Other Sphere, a podcast exploring our strange world, one conversation at a time, hosted by Rick Palmer. My guest for this episode is author, artist and composer David Ditchfield. In 2006, David was dragged under a speeding train in a freak accident. Amazingly, he survived this, and as the surgeons fought to save him at the hospital, he had a profound near-death experience. After this happened, he soon found that he had acquired astonishing new abilities. He could paint dramatic paintings of what he had seen in the afterlife, far beyond any artistic ability he had before. He then discovered he could compose classical music, despite never having received any formal training. His debut symphony, The Divine Light, was premiered at a sellout orchestral concert to a standing ovation. He has since composed further classical works, which have also been performed at sellout concerts, and completed over 40 paintings, many inspired by his near death experience. He has also written a book called Shine On, which tells his remarkable story and was released in 2020. Here is our conversation, which it was a privilege to be a part of. Enjoy. David, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. The event that led to your experience was a really traumatic one, and you start the book on the day that that occurred. Can you just go through what happened? Yeah, sure. Um, I'd been staying at my sister's uh, with her family up in Cambridgeshire for a while, and um, a friend had come to visit who I'd only met a few weeks prior to this, and uh, she'd got to get back to London basically so I took her to the station and um to see her off and when I helped her with her bags uh onto the train uh carriage I gave her a, a goodbye kiss and a hug and um we heard the automatic buzzers going and as I stepped back um my coat the b- bottom corner of it got trapped in the automatic closing doors and uh, it was a right it was a very good quality sheepskin coat so it wasn't going to co- come free so I just shouted at the top of my voice for help. Uh, I thought there would be a guard around, but there wasn't at this station. So I just kept yelling really loud, you know, and then I was banging on the, the side of the carriage doors and everything, hoping that somebody might run through and, and release the doors because the engine started to rev up and I thought, this isn't looking too good. Um, and uh, the train eventually started to pull out the station and... Uh, I figured at this stage that I, my chances of, of pulling free and surviving this were very slim. And I, I actually really thought that this this is it, I was going to die. Um, I've, I've decided to try and uh, go into fight mode rather than flight, as it were, you know, and uh, I thought I'm not going to let this, this beat me. And the train pulled out. And it pulled out at great speed. You know, you don't realize how fast they pulled out of out of these stations. Uh, I heard every gear change, and I felt my footing suddenly go. And I was dragged along, and I was pulled along the platform, and then through the space between the platform edge and the speeding train itself. And down I went, down I went underneath the wheels. And um, I went through this very dark, violent experience, uh, which I was fully conscious of throughout the whole thing. Um, I just remember just being battered from pillar to post and I just remember 
feeling like it was just me, skin and bones, against this huge mechanical beast. But I thought, you're not going to get me. And uh, I eventually got thrown down to the ground in between the, 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 the rail tracks as the train carried on. And I knew it wasn't over yet, so I had to keep my face right down into the gravel, and which I did. <clears throat> and the train eventually moved on. It was a very long train. It seemed to go on forever, but anyhow, off it went. There I was just lying in complete shock in the middle of this track. It sounds like a surreal experience to have to go through. Yeah, it is. I don't think, and I don't think the mind, body, and, and soul should have to go through that at all. It's, uh, you know, it's, um, it was incredibly traumatic, and um, a, a miracle that I survived. You know, there was something greater at force that day that saved me. And um, but another thing was strange that happened as well was that I remember. As as I realised that I wasn't going to pull my coat free, just as the train started to edge out, I actually had time to think this through, uh, even though the whole thing only took th- 13 and a half seconds from the moment the train pulled off to me going under, according to the National Rail Police. It felt more like minutes. And so in what felt like minutes, I had time to try and think through how I, what I was going to do next, what was going to be my next step. And I'd seen this TV footage, uh, some news footage of, of a small child that had been thrown from a burning apartment block uh, from the third floor. And uh, it, it, the child had survived without any broken limbs. And they put that down to the fact that infants uh, don't tense up like we do as adults. So I decided that's what I'm going to do. I decided just to relax my whole body, um, which um, obviously went towards helping me, but Ultimately, as I say, there was something far greater uh, than both me uh, and all of us and that train itself that saved me that day. Mm. And in the book, from relating that experience to you, you go to a point nine months earlier and you're on a train and you get sat next to a couple of people who give you some information about a spiritualist church at the, the, the town where your, your sister lives. Yeah, that's right. Um, well, I was on the train. I was going up to, to visit my sister for the weekend, and um, I was pretty down on my look, to be honest with you, at that point. I was I was more or less broke, and I needed a break, and I needed to get out of London. I was living in London, and I, I just I was on this train. I didn't really feel like talking to anyone, but there was this, this uh, elderly couple sat opposite me, and they started chatting. They were confused about where their station was, and so I was trying to help them. And then the lady started talking to me, telling me that they were off to see a medium at a spiritualist church and saying how good she was. And they said, she's very unknown, but she's brilliant. And you should come along. And I went, okay, thanks. And then she insisted on giving me like this little flyer, which I took and put it in my pocket. So when I arrived at my sister's, I I really had no intention of going, but I don't know what, what made me decide to go, but I did. And I went along to this demonstration and it was great it was like packed (laughs) you know I could just about get myself a seat and while I was there there was um most people were looking for messages from loved ones that that just passed over you know they'd lost their you know their fathers and what have you and uh, I wasn't looking for a message at all but there was one point in the evening where this um medium who was very animated was suddenly started pacing around and looked straight at me 
straight at me and she said, gentlemen in the blue sweater, they're telling me that your life is about to change dramatically and be ready for it. And I was going, oh, okay. So I just figured she, she meant, well, I was going to you know, win the lottery. I was going to get the girl that I, I was, you know, interested in or what have you, all those different things, you know. Um, but, and I said, well, in what way uh, is it going to change? And then she kind of paced around a little more. She said, they're not telling me. They're just saying, be ready for it. It's going to be big. So now I look back and I think I was being told basically that my whole life was about to change, but in a, in a much huger way than um, winning the lottery. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so at that time, what was your opinion on these sorts of things, uh, the, the paranormal, things like that? Yeah, they, they they didn't really come, hadn't even entered into my into my life, into my sphere. You know, they didn't really. You know, that wasn't the way my life was wired. My brain was wired at that point. You know, I didn't really think about spirituality. So it was just more like a, a, a curiosity value that I'd gone along to see this happen. You know, and so yeah, so it's, so um, spirituality didn't come into my into my head. So I wasn't anticipating anything, really. <laughs> right. Yeah. So yeah, let's talk about the experience itself. Um, when when did that happen in after the accident? Um, well, yeah, it's the the emergency guys arrived pretty quick and they jumped down on the track, started cutting through my clothes, and then they got me into an ambulance. And we sped down down the highway and we did like a twenty five minute drive, and there we were. And there's a whole team of medics waiting for me in the emergency departments. And as they wheeled me in, my family suddenly arrived as well pretty soon after us. And so I was in an awful lot of pain, obviously. And by this point, I was getting pretty scared because I I was losing a lot of blood. You know, I'd seen my my left arm looks in a really bad way. It was completely ripped open. In fact, it, it was severed from the elbow down, which I hadn't even realized. But I was in so much... Uh, pain and I could hear fear in the voices of the, of the doctors so I thought um, it's not over yet this you know I wasn't sure I was going to even survive this and it was at that point that I left I left my body I, I left the frantic sort of um, you know sort of high tension atmosphere of the hospital and I suddenly found myself in in a really beautiful uh, darkened space and uh but it wasn't it wasn't like a foreboding darkness, it was very comforting. And I just kind of looked around me and I thought, where am I? I just thought the first thing I saw I was greeted by these beautiful orbs, these colours of reds and oranges and yellows that were slowly pulsating around me. They were like kind of landing lights in an airport, you know, and uh, runway and stuff. And I just felt very comforted by this and and I figured pretty much at that point that I hadn't survived. I thought, okay, so this is it, you know, this is this is death. This is I've died, and uh, this is where where you go next. And um, I didn't fight it, you know. I didn't try to resist it because uh, I didn't want to die. But I was also being through such horrible, horrific trauma that it was kind of just good to be have some relief and just to feel no pain and just to feel safe and comfortable you know um and then i tried to get my bearings i I looked around and i i looked i realized i was no longer laid on the hospital trolley but i was laid on what appeared to be like a huge slate rock it was like a big medieval altar and uh i just thought wow this isn't remarkable because 
I noticed I was no longer clothed either, but I felt totally comfortable lying on it. It felt like a really nice, comfortable thing. <laughs> um, and I, I looked down to check my body and uh, all my wounds were completely healed as well. Everything was back in place. So there wasn't even a single scratch or, or bruise, you know. And I was just covered in like this blue sort of satin, sort of silky sheet, which really comforted me. And um, I just thought, wow, this is just um, really beautiful. And laid back my head. And as I laid back my head, I suddenly looked up and there were like three grids of like symmetrical grids of white light were sort of closing in on me. And I, I looked into that light and it was like a pure, very bright white light. And it was it was intense but it was a sort of intensity that normally i wouldn't be able to look into but in this instance i could in fact i couldn't take my gaze away because it was so i don't know it was so enriching it was just like it was i felt like it was healing me and it was just giving me something more than just light so i kept i just kind of bathed in this light if you like and there was at that point i felt the presence of um somebody close to me i thought there's somebody here so i i lifted my head from where i was lying and and there was there was a a person just stood right at my feet um wearing like a very contemporary sort of simple black t-shirt and uh this kind of very white blonde sort of hair and skin that was glowing light from within this incredible light that was beautiful and just coming through but this person looks so familiar. You know, I remember saying, who are you? you know, I, I know you, don't I? I and, and I just felt like I'd known this person for, for all my life and beyond, you know. And uh, there, was, there was like a bond. There was this a, a very strong bond. And so I felt safe. I, uh, I felt this person was guarding me. And uh, he or she just, because this person was androgynous, so it was neither male nor female, was just, was just, staring back at me with this kind of really like a knowing smile every time I spoke and asked questions, you know, and, and uh, I thought, okay. So I just laid my head back again to kind of enjoy this beautiful energy that was coming through. And um, I suddenly felt again the, the presence of um, somebody else. In fact, there were two more people uh, suddenly either side of me in female form and uh, there was a girl to my right with wearing a simple brown dress and sort of sort of long brown hair and uh and then there was a girl to my left and she was more sort of uh asian indian american indian um and um wearing a, a more contemporary not contemporary sorry a more traditional sort of dress uh like a creamy sort of color and, and uh, she was like her hands their hands were just kind of hovering over my body and as their hands hovered over me, there was I could feel like they were healing me. They were healing all the trauma that I'd just been through, uh, not just physically, but you know my whole emotions, all my soul, and everything was being healed. And um, it was um, it was very powerful. The the energy that was coming from their hands, I remember, was just so strong. It was like a it was like an energy of love that was just uh, it was similar to the energy that was coming from those white lights in, in the grids, but it was a lot more powerful and a lot more intense. Um, so I um, 
it felt that it was just like the pure essence of my soul as well that was in this in this sphere that was just being healed, you know, and uh, not just from the accident itself, but from from all the years. Uh, like all of us, you know, we, we've all taken a good beating with our souls and, at some points in our lives, and it felt like everything, all the layers of you know of guilt and shame and all those things that I carried around me were just being slowly peeled off me, and it was so it's very liberating. Um, which was unusual for me because I'd, I I had carried throughout my whole life I carried an awful lot of guilt and shame with me. I was just that that kind of person, you know, that just um, you know I'd never get I'd never really given myself a break. I'd always felt like a failure, and I, I know there's a lot of people that are do feel that way because I've I've certainly come across a lot now since I've been talking about it. You know, uh, so there's nothing new. But that was that was my story. That's how I was. My whole life had been like that, and it was great not to feel that at all anymore. I just thought, do you know what? You know, the past doesn't matter anymore. In fact, time didn't exist anymore. It was just, I didn't care about the past and I didn't care about the future. I was just in the here and now. And, um, yeah. Um, and then interestingly enough, I started to think about my family because I, I, they were pretty cut up when they'd seen me obviously in hospital and really distressed by it all. And I thought they're going to be really distressed now because they're, they're going to be stood around. I was figuring that I died and that they're going to have to deal with that. So I thought I'd just lift my, myself up and look over the edge of this huge rock that I was laying on to see if I could see them. So I looked over my left-hand side and um, when I looked down, I couldn't see them at all. I didn't see the hospital or anything. But what I did see was this this amazing sight it was like this it was like a it was like a huge awesome sort of waterfall of stars it was like the size of niagara but it was instead of water droplets just pouring over the edge it was like millions of sparkling stars that were just uh, just toppling over and shooting stars just dropping through the middle and as i looked down i just thought wow this is incredible this is amazing you know i'm not in a small darkened space at all i mean I'm in the universe itself, you know. And as I looked down, I remember the more I focused, it felt like I was looking from one galaxy into another and then into another and into infinity and into beautiful colour. You know, I remember the colours, the, the nebulas that, that was appearing before my eyes were just uh, really quite spectacular. And uh, so I lifted my head back over and I thought, again I didn't feel any sense of oh my goodness my poor family I just thought oh well I can't see them there but I'm I'm going to be seeing them soon and if I don't see them soon they're going to be coming here and experiencing this beautiful place themselves one day and it will all make sense so yeah (laughs) so um, so so it was it was very unusual for me to not feel guilt and worry and concern about them you know concern yes but only out of, of love not concern out of oh my goodness you know what have i caused what you know and, you know what drama have i brought to the family and stuff and um then i think one of the well definitely most certainly the most powerful part of the whole uh, experience was uh seeing the the tunnel of white light which I know that most people who've had near-death experiences will will talk about that. They they all will say that they've experienced a tunnel of white light, and some of them actually say they pass through it. Um, 
which wasn't to be the case for me. That that wasn't what happened, but it was very powerful because I actually felt the energy coming from this tunnel of white light before I'd even seen it, you know, because I'd laid back down again and I could feel this energy, the same kind of energy of love that was coming through from the, the healing hands of, of the guides, the angels. Um, but this was like, it was so intensified. It was just like every, every single molecule of my body was just like pulsating and vibrating with this love, this energy of love. So when I looked, I saw this awesome sort of sight. It was like a huge tunnel of white light, very pure, intense white light coming towards me. That, and, but it was like there were all these flames like so slowly sort of um, circulating all the way around the edge, if you like, which is very powerful and, and very, uh, it, it could have been quite frightening, but to me it wasn't. It was just exciting. And, uh, and I felt safe because I felt, again, this energy of love was coming from it. And it was at that point that I knew what I was staring at here uh, was, was the source of all creation. You know, this, was, this wasn't God uh, as I'd been led to believe from, from school or whatever, you know, for, in, the, in, in the idea of being in a human form, you know, like, you know, Christian for me, anyhow, from looking at the ceiling of the Vatican or what have you. And, and God being a guy with a beard and, and stuff. This was it. It was God was this huge tunnel of white light giving out all this energy of love. And this was the source of where it all comes from. So, uh, yeah. So it was pretty much at that point that I I just made that sort of, sort of because um, a lot of it was telepathy that was coming through, a lot of the knowledge that I was learning. And, and just to learn that was just so important to me. And I remember just, laid my head back and I was just filled with joy and I was I was laughing I remember to myself that you know, this is an incredible journey uh, that I suddenly came crashing back into my body I was back into the pain body I was back in the hospital and you know all the noise all the noisiness uh, of the hospital and, and the brightness of the fluorescent lights was just overkill you know and I was just like oh <laughs> it was it was it was a terrific shock to come back yeah, I can imagine. So after that experience, when did you feel like able to sort of think about it? I mean, I, you know, you're going through a lot. You're, I imagine you're going into surgery and there's a lot of, yeah. there's a lot of in, intense activity for a while after that. When did you feel like you had time to, to have a moment to, to think about what had happened to you or, or, or did you know as soon as it ended what had happened? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I mean, I remember uh, turning around to um, to Anna, who was a, who was the girl that I was seeing off. She was she was, she came over just as she said they're going to take you into theatre now. And I said, look, I said, look, I've got I've got something to tell you. The most amazing thing has just happened. You've got to hear this. And you know, so I was like really filled with all this excitement. She's going, no, 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 not now. You can tell me later. You know, obviously, you know, <laughs> she just she didn't know what had happened. She was just trying to keep me calm. And so I went into I was in. I went for about eight hours, I think it was, um, and and into theatre. And then when I came round, the hospital put me in my own room, which was lovely because it meant that I met, I got tranquility of that space. So I remember it was like it must have been like sort of I don't know, about two o'clock in the morning or something like that. I remember coming through in this room, 
it was just me and this kind of like machine bleeping next to me and uh, like an R2-D2, you know. <laughs> and I just, I, so I got two things to really sort of contemplate. First of all, you know, I, I'd been for a huge shock. I'd been under a train, so I had to deal with that. Um, but I have to say that the whole near-death experience was, was the biggie. That was the one I just couldn't stop thinking about. And I was just thinking, how am I going to tell people about this? How am I going to tell the world about what's just happened? And I just thought, I was scared I was going to forget, you know, and which, of course, I never have, never have done. But at that stage, I was scared I was going to forget. So I thought, I'm going to do a painting. That's it. I'm going to, I'd never done anything like this before, but I decided it was going to be a big canvas, like a big sort of like, you know, Michelangelo Renaissance style painting, like like those big ones they do of biblical scenes. So that's what I wanted to do, and so I'd made my mind up pretty much straight away. And uh, yeah, it 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 was just very much. It had never left me my thought process at all. It was I was I was very charged with the whole episode. And did you have a like an exact memory of it? I I, I wonder because sometimes. You know, you can have a very vivid dream and then you wake up and it starts to fade pretty quickly. But it sounds from what you're describing that it that, that wasn't the case. Absolutely, yeah, that wasn't the case at all. And uh, this, is, this is it, you know, what, what ultimately what a near-death experience is, yes, it's, it's a different reality. It's as, it's as real as I'm sat here talking to you now. It's not like, it isn't a dream state. It's not like a hallucinogenic state. In, in fact, it's, it's almost, it's ultra real, you know, it's, it's like really, really vivid. So the fact that it's so ultra real and it's so profound, uh, it never leaves you and it, and it doesn't, and it stays with you. So it, and it so it doesn't diminish, um, you know, I mean, also, you know, dreams are um, are very chaotic as well. You know, and, and they do, as you say, you forget them after a time, whereas or they change in your in your mindset. Whereas this, it's 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 very strong and it's very profound, so it stays with you because it happened, and it's and it's very hard to sort of you know you, you're very scared at, at, at the initial stage of, of how you're going to tell everybody that this is real that it, that it actually happened that it's not that it's not a, a dream state you know um but I, luckily i i found that everybody that i did speak to uh, about you know people were coming in to visit me in hospital my family and my friends and once i started telling people people were really fascinated by it and interested and i didn't find too many people who were thinking you know you know what? You know <laughs> nobody really kind of thought, <laughs> questioned it. So, um, which is which is which was lovely for me because that that was that was very important to me. Hmm. So after that happened, is it the experience itself that changed you, or is it what happened in the experience? I'm just I'm just thinking about how things were for you after. In, mm. in the book, you you divide the book into two halves, like the the unfriendly universe and the friendly universe and and obviously the mm-hmm. the experience you had is that that's the point at which things change and i'm i'm just i guess i'm wondering was it what happened in the experience that helped you that changed the universe for you or is it is it just the experience itself is it is it everything it's well i learned an awful lot from the experience um and uh, and i learned some very huge lessons and 
that was the uh, first of all um love you know i was given so much love there and and basically i was i'd realized that uh i was very loved and that it was only me who was who was being hard on myself it was me who was beating myself up and that ultimately all those things that i felt were mistakes uh, or wrongdoings that i was performing in my life because i wasn't fitting in were, were that weren't they weren't my fault you know they, just, they simply weren't my fault so i learned so I kept that love with me because it was so strong, it was so powerful, you know, that I just didn't let it go and it stayed with me. And, and once I'd got that self-love, it gave me self-worth and then self-confidence to start doing things. But not only that, it it's gave me self-confidence to be me for the first time in my life. I was always acting really throughout my whole life. I was, I was always aspiring to be other people because that's something that it's a common thing that we all do if we don't it's like when we're at school you know it's that, that in the playground or whatever you if we if we don't fit in with the kids you know we act and we try to be like them because we want to be accepted by them so i was i spent my whole life doing that so i never really discovered me and, and what my abilities were and you know my my true authentic self so that's what i learned and that was the important lesson but not only that there's there's something there's something bigger than that. There was, there's this. I, I realized that those guides that I talked about, the people that were healing me, that were there, that I met, that I came across, had been with me throughout my whole life. I just hadn't realized that, and I know that they're with me now. So I acknowledge them. And I, I work with them, and I know that they're there and they're helping me along. You know, and I, and I truly believe that we've all got that as well. Each and every one of us have got those guides that are looking out for us. But you know it's it's you know it's just not easy for us all to be able to connect with those guys and you know well it is easy actually that's wrong it, it, it is easy to do but we but we don't make it easy for ourselves is what i should be saying mm. in the book you talk about how um as part of your convalescence and your recovery you had a therapist and but then you also um went back to the spiritualist church in saint ives mm. um and I got like healing sessions there. How did those two things, which seem quite different, how did they complement what you were doing yourself um, after the experience that you had with your art and things like that? Um, they were both equally important, you know, it, just as much as, um, you know, science was equally important in saving me, you know, without science, I wouldn't be here chatting to you now, you know, that's like, mm-hmm. that saved my life as well. And so I realized that the two go hand in hand. And, uh, and I, yeah, I, I mean, I, I didn't know about spiritual healing. I, I the only reason I went back to the church was because once I was out of hospital, I was really keen to track that place down again, because I thought, wow, that was those people. I just wanted to talk to people, uh, about it really, who I thought might get it, you know, and, and understand it, uh, what had happened to me. Cause I knew nothing about near death experiences at that point. You know, I started googling in online and stuff and then i found out in fact i came across dr raymond moody he was the first person i came across and then I, that that he explained you know what near-death experiences were for ah that's what i've had but going to that church you know they i just went along to um uh, one of their services and uh, at the end of the service a lovely lady came over to me and said uh, you look like you're in a pretty bad way there you know you could, we do spiritual healing here 
And I said, oh, great, when can I come? She said, Thursday. So I went along, and so I, I was going, well, I still go to spiritual healing. It's something that I still do. Um, but it, God, it's amazing. I mean, it's just like it, it, the, the rate of my recovery was astonishing the, you know, my surgeons and doctors at the hospital. They couldn't believe how fast I was recovering. And I put a lot of that down to the, to the spiritual healing. And yeah, so, um, I, I learned a lot of, um, you know, talking to one in particular joy. I learned an awful lot from her. She, she was very spiritual. And, and a lot of the things she was saying to me, she was getting from her guides. So she was being given information that she was passing on. Um, but it was equally important for me to deal with the aftermath of, of the accident. I had post-traumatic stress, stress disorder. You know, my mind and body just wasn't equipped to deal with going under a train any more than anywhere else. And uh, so I needed that as well. So, you know, I learned something from both. I mean, it's something I just still think therapy is brilliant. You know, it's just, it's just, I think it's something we, we should all <laughs> give it a go at some point because you, you just, once you start talking and, and just, you know, digging right in there, it's, it's amazing how much you can learn. What did the spiritual healing involve? Yeah, it's basically what it involves is it's, um, you just kind of, uh, we would we would have these the kind of almost like massage beds like collapsible massage beds and you'd lie out on on the beds and that it'd be just like you you'd get two healers maybe working on you at a time and you just lay out and it's very chilled atmosphere like very chilled music playing candles lit you know and uh and it's very calm and they just kind of like interestingly enough it's not too far off the experience i was having when i was in my nde where they place their hands on certain parts of your body and uh, they're just kind of led. They're led by their by their guides or by my guides, you know, to, to go to various parts of my body or, or um, you know, parts of my soul or whatever that need healing. And uh, it's a very, it's, it's a wonderful, the reason I go there is because I find that's the nearest I come to being able to, to really connect with my guides and, and, and to that actual beautiful place that I was in. And it's a, uh, it's a moment of transcendence, you know, it's, it really is. It's, it's very peaceful and it's, it's very meditative and it's, uh, it's something I'd highly recommend. It's, it's, I mean, this, it's the place I go to hardly, hardly anybody turns up. There should be queues around the block for it, you know, because it's just so wonderful. Anybody who goes along, if I recommend it to, to friends and stuff, they go, wow, this is brilliant. You know, it's, it's, and it's lovely. You know, it's, it's, I guess it's very similar to something like, you know, uh, Reiki healing or, or Shiatsu, you know, so it's, it's a very, very calm form of, of healing. Hmm. And from your experience of, of receiving it, and, and, and everything you've gone through, really, and your experience. I mean, did you ever wonder why some people get to the point where these things need to happen? Why people aren't more in touch with these entities in, in general? I I mean, I I, <laughs> I guess after the event, it doesn't really matter. But I I think, you know, as, as someone who has the luxury of not having gone through what you've gone through, I, I guess I, I was reading your book and thinking, wouldn't it be great if if it was just, this relationship, this wonderful experience that you had was just something that didn't require you know, going under a train. Yeah, I, I don't think it does require that. Um, that's something mm. that I try to put across as much right. as I can to people, actually, that you don't have to do that. It, it, you know, for me, I think that I'd got to the stage where I wasn't seeing, you know, 
let, let's put it like this. My whole life was, when I look back on it, it was just kind of, it was very linear. You know, I was just like skimming across the surface of life. And every time there was any adversity, I would just try and jump over that adversity and, and not stop to deal with it and uh, and stuff. And uh, And I think many of us do that. Many of us don't really, you know, we're not really getting in touch with our higher selves with our higher consciousness you know we don't stop to do that we don't, we don't uh, and and it's something that we can all do it's it's really it's really quite simple you know like meditation and and all different like i say spiritual healing or shiatsu or, or any forms or even yoga you know if you go into these uh states of you know transcendental sort of um meditation it's 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 a way of trying to tap into to your guides and try and acknowledge them that they are there and but most importantly to uh, to tap into that authentic real you you know and find it because most of us are actors most of us all go through life acting and and we don't we're, we're we're kind of afraid to to do that to switch off off the tv you know switch off the the kind of society sort of life was i mean well we were given an option we were given an opportunity uh you know this this past year you know with the pandemic you know to and it did happen at first i noticed that people were starting to get in touch with their authentic selves when we had the first lockdown you know people were actually starting to enjoy it you know you see all this stuff online where people were like suddenly singing and dancing and baking cakes and <laughs> becoming artistic, doing paintings and getting creative, you know. And I thought, wow, this is it. This is what we need. This is what people need to do. But I don't think that it lasted somehow, you know. I just think people kind of got to the stage where they go, all right, well, let's get back to normal, shall we? And and that, to me, that that's why, yeah, you can live a life as well. You can live in society and you can you can function in society, but but – why not stay with that why not stay with that authenticity because that's the real answer that's that's the real clue to to it all i feel Mm. um after it happened not only did you start painting but you began to compose a piece of music how did that Mm. come about um that came about because uh actually started at the spiritual healing some of the healers there uh clairvoyant and they just give very short messages at the end. And a few of them started picking up things like, you know, classical music. I'm, I'm hearing Beethoven and Wagner when I was just healing you then. I was going, oh, okay. <laughs> Didn't think anything of it. And then one of them turned around and said, uh, look, they're telling me that you're going to write a, a piece of music about about your experience. That's when I say they, that the the, uh, the guides uh, who are healing. I thought, great. I'll go. I'll go home and do it. So I pulled out this old, um, this cheap old synthesizer out, and I and I started trying to bash a song out of that, but that wasn't coming because uh, it simply wasn't supposed to be a song. Obviously, you know, it was supposed to be something bigger than that. And then I was, I was by then I realised that I knew how to how, that channeling was happening within me with the paintings when I was doing all the paintings. I knew that I was being helped with those paintings, and I was channeling ideas through. And suddenly. I found I was channeling ideas through with, with music. And this chord progression suddenly came. And all I got was an old cassette recorder. And I just put this chord progression into the cassette recorder. I thought, wow, this sounds really beautiful to me. And it's like, I'm, I've got to develop it. So I kept developing it. 
And it got to the stage where I thought, this is something that should be played by an orchestra. It's not a, a three-minute song, you know. And I met a cellist uh, who used to come and see me when I was doing my paintings, and we met for coffee one day, and she said, what have you been up to? So I told her about this piece of music, and she laughed and said, oh, maybe we could perform it. And I thought, ah, that would be good. You know, I'm going to hold you to that. So from that point on, I just worked really hard and developed it up to uh, – the stage where I thought right I spoke to my brother uh who was he was down in in London and he said look I've I've got this app that you can attach to your you know it's like a piece of, of software that you can use on your computer that when you play the notes on the keyboard because I can't read or write music even now and when you play those notes it, it will transpose it into the instrument that you want for example if it's a cello it'll it'll transcribe it into into a manuscript for a cello so uh, I thought, great so i just got all the parts together phoned up my friend said listen fancy a coffee we met for a coffee and i told her it was i got it all there and she said well all right i'll speak to the orchestra and the orchestra said yeah we'll do it so <laughs> they decided to um, uh, include it in their next concert which was it which was it so that was my first symphony and it's called the divine light and it was just based on my near-death experience and it was remarkable because the um the energy i was i was being helped not only with the creativity of putting that together but i felt i was being helped with the if you like the promotion of it because um the orchestra said would you mind saying a few words to the local press about your piece i said sure and when I did, they remembered me, the guys at the press. And they went, ah, oh, you're the guy who went under the train. Oh, this is going on the front page. So it did. And then from then, the phone kept ringing. And then the BBC came to interview me. And then the concert sold out like two weeks in advance, which was brilliant. And so, you know, for me, it wasn't just thinking, oh, you know, it wasn't like a, there's a huge difference. It wasn't like ego didn't sort of come into it. It didn't sort of make me feel like, yeah, you know, I'm going to be really... The, the hit of the night or stuff like that it was more like great that more people are going to come along and, and get what i'm talking about here and they did you know the atmosphere in that concert hall was just uh, it's just it was beautiful you know it was just uh, I, can, I can still feel it now as i'm talking about it because it was just it was just so powerful and uh, so peaceful when you were composing it so you were you hearing it in your head it's it's um it's it's really hard to describe it it's just you, you you're you're hearing it and but it's just like um just ideas would just start to, to to just come through you know and i would just i would just when when the good ideas were happening they seemed to be happening one after another and I just kept putting them down onto this little cheap old cassette recorder and uh, just piling it all in there and just listening back and thought, this is all coming together. And it just, it was just like, I guess we, we've all, you know, we've all had experiences in our lives where we suddenly feel like everything's just coming together. Yeah, we go, oh, this is just like great, you know, it's all falling into place. And that's because it's meant to be, it's meant to, to be, you know, authentically, to you it's meant to happen in that point in your life and so um 
I couldn't say that, you know, I heard like these kind of like, it wasn't like a, I would hear sounds because I remember hearing, I remember the French horn part. I'd never even, you know, I'd heard, heard this kind of distant horn was coming through and I thought, that's really good. And my brother said, oh, that, you need a French horn there. So he would help me with instrument sounds, you know, and I suddenly realized there were all these different textures and harmonies and harmonics coming through as I was putting it together. And that's what made it into a symphony, which is, as the as the conductor of the orchestra said, it's remarkable. He said, "I he said I wouldn't even attempt to do that myself." So I don't know. I didn't even stop. I think if I'd stopped to intellectualize it, I don't think it would have come together. And I think I probably would have just gone, "Ah, oh, you know." Hmm. So yeah. Um, as times passed since you composed that piece of music, do you look back at it and think that that in a in a way it was. A, a talent that you had that was allowed to be revealed. I, I know in the book, you know, when you're you're talking to your brother, he's got a, like a more rational mindset about what's happened to you, and you know, and it's it's you. It's, it's coming from you, but you've gone through something that's changed your perspective on things. And really, when it comes down to it, I know I know it's not important. And but do you have moments where you kind of realise that part of it is that you just have a a, a talent you never realised that you had. That's a huge part of it, yeah, because that, that's why I say you don't need a near-death experience to actually find this within yourself. Hmm. I mean, you you must have remembered the incidents where you've been watching um, somebody interviewed on the TV who's like, who turned, who's, for example, was a successful financer working in the city, working in the banks and stuff like that, suddenly decided to give it all up and then, you know, and then put all his money into you know, starting a hotel or whatever, you know, or, or building an organic farm and suddenly turning around saying, this is it. This is where I'm meant to be. I'm happy now. And, and it's, it's like basically that person was being, the, had found their true authentic self. So that's what I'd done. I'd found my true authentic self, um, you know, and so that, so yeah. So, the, so, the, so, you know, for example, not all People who've had near-death experiences, they, they don't all come back and suddenly uh, decide that they're, they're going to be artists or they're going to write symphonies for orchestras. They, they'll find other hidden talents that they didn't realise they got, you know, other different, uh, other ways which are just creative, you know, because so many things are creative. You know, mathematics is creative, and, and I, I, never, I never saw it as that because I was a great failure at mathematics and stuff. But, you know, uh, I've since realized that, no, that, that's, that's a creative process. So, so, um, so yeah, there was, there was definitely um, a part of me that was, that was creative, in it, and it's brought that element of out within me. But there's still a, a, a part of me that does actually think it's, um, it's pretty remarkable that, um, I'm writing, especially writing music for orchestras. That's a huge thing, I, uh, you know, to be be able to do that from, you know, before I could play guitar, you know, I could thrash out three chords on a guitar playing in bands, you know, like <laughs> most of us, you know. But that was it, you know. And to go from that to suddenly writing symphonies without any classical, you know, formal training. You know, a lot of people go to university and do two, three-year degree course in, in how to do that. So it's like... Yeah, but I, again, I don't stop to try and if I stopped and thought about it and intellectualized it, I think all the all the bricks would just suddenly tumble down. You know what I mean? They just wouldn't work for me. So uh, I can't afford to rationalize it through too much. 
No, no, definitely. I'm interested as well to know that after this, after this happened to you, um, did you become more interested in the paranormal and supernatural? Did you, did you feel like you had more of an insight into some of the unusual things that people report that they see? Yes, yes, most certainly. Um, I, uh, I started going to quite a lot of the, the church meetings at the spiritualist church. And at the end of each um, church meeting, that they'd have like a guest uh, medium would do like a, a half an hour um, just with all the people in the congregation, just pretty much similar to what I'd been through that night, you know, that I talked of earlier. And um, I I got, became really fascinated with that because I thought, God, these are great. You know, there's some of the stuff. I mean, funnily enough, I was getting picked at nearly every week uh, to start off <laughs> with when I first went went there. And they, they they used to laugh. They used to say, oh, it's, you know, it's it's – it's that it's David again, kind of thing, you know, and um, I, and I put a lot of that down to the fact that I just come from this place, and I felt like I was still attached to it, like the, my energy was just still like a, a, an umbilical cord was attached to it. So I think I was just charged with all this energy. So there, so those um, mediums were just picking up on me, and it was they didn't know who I was. They come from the other side of the country, you know, so they weren't they hadn't seen me in the news and stuff. So so. And they were just picking out all these things. I thought, wow, that is that's brilliant. Yeah, you know, you know, they were picking up people who passed on. And in fact, there was one because I I would turn around if I couldn't take somebody. I'd say no, I don't take. It. I mean, there was one. I remember there was one person turned around and said, um, "I'm picking up a guy, a young guy, a, a motorcycle." I said, "No, I don't know anyone with a motorcycle." He said, "No, no, no. He 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 had he died. He had a uh, he had a motorcycle accident." And are you sure you can't take it? I was going, no, I can't take it. And she said, well, anyway, he's here and he's telling me, look, you know, I got some legal, I obviously got like a legal thing afterwards, you know, with the whole issue. And he said, he's telling you to dress up, put a tie on, you know, when you, when you go to a lot along to the meetings, look good, you know. So and I followed that advice, but, and I just, but I couldn't take that guy. And then, do you know what? Interestingly, this is, this was only just recently, a, a couple of years ago. I'd been trying to track down a, an old, really close friend of mine that I'd known since I was a kid, and I couldn't find him anywhere on social media. I was hoping to come across him and say hi, you know. And then, by chance, I'd come across uh, a few somebody who got in touch with me who, who I'd been to school with, and uh, he started. I was reading like a, a thread on Facebook or something like that, and they started an old photo went up from school, and he was in that photo, and everyone was picking out names, and they said, "Oh yeah, he." He died in 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 a, in a, a motorcycle accident. I thought, oh my goodness! I, it was it really shot me, obviously, because I was just like, it was gutted that I that he'd gone. But I thought that was him. That was that was Michael. That was him who was there that day that had come through the medium. So that's how powerful the, the whole thing is, you know. So yeah, so it's 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 remarkable. So there's a lot more than than we than going on than we actually know. You know, the, the trouble is, is that we, we we tend to put everything base everything on science. Even though I said science is important, you know, we just kind of figure there's got to be a scientific equation for everything. But there's no way we can put a scientific equation to everything. You know, you know, Professor Brian Cox said that. You know, they they made a big discovery at the end of last year and he said well you know it's 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 only the beginning we're still learning we're just it's just one more thing we've got there's so much we still don't know about the universe and, and it's absolutely true yeah i um i'm reading a book at the moment all about magic and the author of that 
was talking about how science can sort of separate you from the universe. It can make you try and look at it as objectively as possible, whereas magic is more immersive. You're participating in the universe. And I, yeah. I, I like that description of, of what magic is. And, and, and reading your book as well, I, it made me think that a lot of what you went through felt like a, a magical ritual almost. Yeah, yeah, it was, wasn't it? Yeah, you're right. And uh, interestingly enough, uh, it's I'm very fascinated by the universe now because I, I since that whole experience, I was I felt such a part of the universe, and, and I now realise that we all all of us are a part of the universe, of course, you know, and that we just don't really stop to really think that much about it, which is crazy because you know the universe basically. Uh, you know, helps the whole of, of this planet, the whole of nature sort of recreate and go through all the different seasons and all the different things that happen. And everything else, the whole animal kingdom, the birds, the fish, everything, they all they all follow suit and, and allow it all to happen. They migrate when, you know, instinctively and then come back to the same spot. And Whereas, you know, I guess we don't, you know, because we, we're so intellectualized that we, we don't really stop to absorb the universe in the way that I feel we should. We should try and try to absorb it a bit more. And you're absolutely right in that phrase there that when you talk about magic being, you know, they sort of absorb themselves in it more. And, uh, and yeah, it's, 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 that's great. I like that. Hmm. And one thing I, I am interested to ask you is I'm, I'm guessing now that, that death doesn't, frighten you did it frighten you before your accident you know what again i because i was living this kind of linear day-to-day life that i didn't really even think about it i guess at that stage death didn't really come into my into my thought process but i know but i know some people do because i've i've since now because i've been doing uh you know obviously interviews and stuff like that so i've been approached in fact i was approached by by the guardian um uh, sometime but and they they did it they came up and filmed me and uh talking about it and the person the journalist who filmed me she actually got a really huge fear of death you know and uh, i was really surprised so but i've realized now there's quite a lot of people uh, uh, you know that it, it that it keeps them awake at night and it's just it's a very terrifying thought process um no but also yes i don't fear death at all i don't fear, fear it which is helps me not only for myself but it helps in losing loved ones you know I lost my mother um uh, about 18 months ago and as much as I I was broken hearted when I uh, losing her physically that I knew it helped me an awful lot to know that where she'd gone that she was she'd gone to exactly the place I'd been which is which is a great which I wish everyone could know that you know I really do um but um, I didn't, yeah, so so I don't fear death. Hmm, good. good. <laughs> <laughs> so what are you working on currently, art and music-wise? Yeah, well, um, musically, I'm, I'm now putting together uh, all lots of pieces of music that I have been working on before the book. So, you know, since uh, the book came out, um, in june last year so I've just been, it's just been solid promotion really which has been great you know there's been so much energy surrounding it and which i've really enjoyed 
But now I'm just, uh, I need to get back to my music. And quite a lot of people have been, because they've, they've, I put the first symphony up on my website so that people could stream it for free. And a lot of people are really enjoying it and asking if they can download any more. So that's the next step. I'm going to be putting like an album together of, of, of new music, which will be, is, is I'm going to be putting that out this year so that people can, yeah, have, have the music as well. (laughs) So yeah, just, you know, just the energy just keeps, it it sort of gains its own momentum. There's no master plan. I, I try not to have any, any master plans, you know, I let, I let the universe you know, sort of dictate where I'm going next and, and then the doors will open in, in their own accord. Hmm. Are there ever moments where you don't feel like you're having this inspiration? Are there quiet moments where you, where yeah. you, you, you worry if it's, if it's going to come back? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's you know, it's, 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 a, you know, it's a creative process. And so there are moments, yeah, where I just, where I just kind of, I'll start off and it's just, I get that same feeling like I had with the very first symphony where all the ideas are just seem to be just pouring through, you know, and I'm just going, wow, this is great. This is just all coming. And then there are all of a sudden I'll get, you know, like periods where it's just not happening and it's just not coming. So I just, but I never panic, you know, I just, I just know that it's going to come, it will come. You know, I never feel like, oh, is it all over? Have I lost it? Is it gone? Is that it? You know, I just kind of figure I've just got to walk away from it. And in fact, what I normally do is I just go away and, and work on something else, which is a, a lot more lightweight, if you like. You know, I'll just go away and just kind of like start sort of playing around with the drum machine or something like that and just putting a groove together, which is which is, I've got no plan to do anything with other than just to get away from, you know, sort of, writing a, a new classical piece and then when I come back all of a sudden you know I just find that the the energy suddenly come back and it's and it's happening again and it's meant to be at that point so yeah so yeah I mean that's one thing that everyone says when they've had a near-death experience it's very important to stress that you do you know obviously you don't you don't you're not superhuman, you know, you just, you go through all, you know, it's, it's, it's you go through all the same processes because that's, that's life, isn't it? So that's just, um, yeah. 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 Well, David, this has been uh, a really wonderful conversation. I loved your book, Shine On. Um, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Brilliant. I've really enjoyed chatting with you as well. So uh, really engaging questions. Thanks a lot. If people want to find out more about you your your art and your music in the book how best do they do that yeah well if you can follow me on social media if you like i mean like instagram is a good one because you know a lot of images and stuff go up there and and news what's happening and i've also got a youtube channel you know i I do video diaries and things um uh, which i put up there and um uh, and the facebook page but the i guess about the best thing to do is go to my website which is shineonthestory.com and if you go there then that's kind of like the main hub and you'll see the links to my individual uh, things if you want to sign up and you can listen to the music on on the website as well as i say well the first symphony anyway there's three movements to it and you can stream that on there and you can see some of my my artwork on on there yeah wonderful well i'll make sure to put all that in the show notes Thank you. Thank you so much. You're most welcome. Thank you, David. Cheers then. Thank you. Bye. As subject matters go, 
near-death experiences are about as personal as it can get. And it was fascinating and thought-provoking to talk with David about what happened to him. Death is often seen in the West as the ultimate conclusion of all of us, and mortality as something to be avoided or ignored, but there are plenty of other cultural viewpoints across the globe and from humanity's past that understand it more as a transition, and where death and life have a relationship with one another. What happens after death is the ultimate mystery. It's clear from David's experience, though, that being on that threshold had an incredible effect on how he lived and recovered afterwards, and gave him purpose. Luckily, we don't all need such a traumatic event for that to happen to us, but that trauma did allow him a first-hand experience of the true nature of existence. It was the end of his old way of living, but not his life. It allowed him to transition from an unfriendly universe to a friendly one and find new talents. This episode will play out with the first movement from his symphony, The Divine Light. As ever, please consider rating and reviewing the podcast wherever you listen, also sharing it on social media, and following the show on Twitter really help it to grow and find new listeners. You can find some other sphere on Twitter at spherical underscore pod and on most of the well-known podcast platforms. And you can now also donate to the podcast via Ko-fi. There'll be a link for that in the show notes. Some other sphere will return soon with a new episode. Until then, be safe and well. And as always, thank you very much for listening.